We get to the portion now of the of the Gospel of Luke, where again, Luke, the author of this Gospel, he introduces us to uh, this wild character by the name of John the Baptist. We were introduced to him in chapter 1, and we're told about his parents, Zechariah and, and Elizabeth, who Zechariah was a priest. There they were both of the tribe of Levi, sons of, uh, of the descendants of Aaron. So they would serve there in the priesthood at the temple there at that time. We're told that there were two righteous individuals, but uh, for lack of better words, they were just really old, and, and, and they were really old, and they didn't have any kids. And so in that culture, in, the, in that state, it would have been looked down upon as something bad, as something like, man, God has cursed you because you in your old age, you, ha- you haven't had any kids. And so uh, God sends an angel, the angel Gabriel, to speak to, to, to Zechariah and to Elizabeth, and he tells him, look, uh, you're going to have a son. It's going to be a miracle baby, and, and you're going to name him John, and he's going to be the forerunner to the Messiah. And then the same angel Gabriel will go speak to Mary and tell her, uh, you're going to be uh, pregnant with, with a son and he's going to be a, 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 through the Holy Spirit, right? It's not going to be through, 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 uh, through regular intercourse. It's going to be through the Holy Spirit. And so John is born now and we're told there in John chapter 3, John is grown up. And the first verse says it was in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. It says, Pontius Pilate being governor over Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of uh, Eturia and the region of Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of, of Abilene, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests. And it was at that time that the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, while he was in the wilderness. And so some time has passed by, somewhere around 30 years has passed by. As, you, as we begin the, the Gospel of Luke there in chapter 1, we're told that there was another Herod who was in power when, when, uh, when, when, when Zechariah received that word. And we're told that it was actually, uh, uh, it was Herod, it was Herod the king of Judea, which was known as historically Herod the Great. And so now he's long gone, you know, he has passed away and he's left the, he's left, uh, the power to his four of his sons. And we're told also that it was Tiberius Caesar who was in power. Right, so bottom line, it was just dark times. It was dark times, and it was at this time that, that the word of God came to John the, John the Baptist. Right now, this, again, this interesting, just wild character, John. I love John the Baptist because everything that surrounds his birth, everything that surrounds his life, his death, his ministry, he's just uh, uh, an odd character here in the New Testament. He's actually the last of the Old Testament prophets, and he kind of transitions into the New Testament. And so he was a prophet. He was sent to to. To prepare the way before Jesus, before the Messiah, him and Jesus were actually related. They were uh, somewhat cousins because we're told that, that Mary and Elizabeth were, were, were relatives as well. So many people believe that they were actually cousins. And so it was at this time that the word of God came to Zechariah, uh, to Zechariah's son, John the Baptist, while he was in the wilderness. Now, keep in mind that Zechariah, being a priest, being of the tribe of Levi, being of the sons of Aaron, that means that, that John the Baptist would have had every single right to be a priest as well and to enter into the priesthood. But the times were so dark that this guy completely rebelled against all the religious system and he went out into the wilderness. And we're told later on in, in the Gospel of Matthew, we're told that, that, that John the Baptist, he was a wild man. And we're told that he dwelled in the desert, he ate locusts for breakfast, lunch, and dinner along with honey. And he clothed himself with, uh, with camel skin. He was just the craziest character. Because uh, from his birth, he took a Nazarite vow, meaning that he would never drink any type of strong drink like alcohol or wine. And also that he would never come near a dead body. And also that he would never cut his hair. So here's this guy that for 30 years hasn't cut his beard, hasn't shaved his face, hasn't cut his hair. He's out there in the wilderness. He's, he, he's draped in camel's clothes and, and camel skin. Uh, he's eating uh, bugs and honey. And yet he comes in, all of a sudden he's, rep- he's preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Man, God uses the most unlikely characters. And that's one thing I love about the Word of God. That's one thing I love about the Bible, that God uses the most 
unlikely characters. Because you would think that at this time, man, God's going to call one of the priests, the high priest, one of the guys who's ministering the temple, one of the guys who studied the Greek and the Hebrew and is in there already teaching in the temple day, uh, day after day. But no, instead he calls this crazy wild man, John the Baptist from the wilderness. He says, all right, John, you, I've been preparing you in the wilderness. Now it's time. He comes all crazy, all right, repent. And thousands of people would gather to him to hear this message of repentance. Keep in mind that's been 400 years since, since anybody's heard anything from God. Right, this intertestamental period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, this period of 400 years, no one's heard anything from God. All of a sudden you hear this wild man coming and say, hey, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's near, it's at hand. And so God commissions uh, John the Baptist, right? And uh, as people are coming to him, you know, different people are coming to him for very, various reasons. Some come, come to him because they generally want to repent of their sins and prepare their heart for the Messiah, for the kingdom of God. Others, some religious leaders come to him because they just kind of want to check out what's going on, right? Who is this guy who sent him? You know, what's his reputation? You know, who, who gave him authority to do this? And to, to those who came with an inquiring heart, to those who came with a repentant heart, John the Baptist is saying, man, repent. And he baptized him. All right, man, prepare your heart for the coming of God. For those who came to just kind of check him out and criticize him, the religious leaders, he would call them out there in verse 8 of chapter 3. He would say, uh, verse 7, he says, hey, he says, therefore, he says, uh, you brood of vipers. He says, who warned you to flee from the wrath of coming? He says, hey, man, you're a gang of snakes. <laughs> Not just any snakes. He says, he called them vipers, the most deadliest snake out there. He says, man, you're, you're a brood of vipers. You're, you're a gang of snakes. You come out here with ulterior motives. He says, who warned you to, to, to flee from the wrath to come? I mean, look, man, I know your heart. I know you're not here to repent of your sins. I know you're just here to condemn. He would call him out, right? But again, to those who came with a repentant heart, he would, say, he would embrace him and he would, he would baptize him. And we're, we're told later on there in verse 15, it says that as the people were in expectation, again, this guy was gathering crowds everywhere he went, thousands of people coming to him to be baptized and to prepare their hearts before the, the coming of the Lord. And we're told that as the people were in expectation that all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not. And then John answered saying to them, I indeed baptize, baptize with, with water, but there's one mightier than I who's coming and whose sandal strap I'm not even worthy to loose. It says he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so as all these different crowds were coming to him wondering, man, is, he, is that him? Is that the Messiah? Is that someone else? John the Baptist would say, hey man, look, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the Christ, but I'm set to prepare the way before him. He says, there's one coming. He says, I'm baptizing you guys with water. But there's one coming. He says, who I'm not even worthy to untie his shoelace. He says, man, I can't even touch his, you know, I can't even, I can't even touch his dirty shoes. He says, that's how holy he is. He says, he's going to baptize you not with water, but with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Speaking about the ministry of Jesus in the beginning and in the end. When Jesus came the first time, and he baptized us with the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that all believers, as we have believed in Christ, now the Holy Spirit indwells us. And, and we do have what's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Something that, something that I pray for every single day. Where the Holy Spirit, apart from the indwelling of the believer, the Holy Spirit comes upon a believer to empower him for service. Right? And to walk with God. And we're told that, that once Jesus was, was crucified, he was buried, he resurrected, he's at the right hand of the Father. We're told that he's going to come back a second time. Christ's second coming which is going to happen after the seven-year tribulation period. And when he comes at the second coming, after the second year, the seven-year tribulation period, we're going to tell he's going to come uh, not for forgiveness, but for judgment. And he's going to judge the world of, of its wickedness before we enter into what's called the millennial reign of Christ. But that's another topic for another study for another day. And so John says, look, 
one is coming who's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and also with fire. And he says in verse 17, his winnowing fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Again, talking about the aspects that surround the second coming of Christ. When he came the first time, man, he came as the Lamb of God. When he's going to come the second time, he's going to come in the wrath of God. Right? Judging sin and judging wickedness. And he says, look, he says that he's going to sort the whole world out between the chaff and the wheat. This is something that, that we're not familiar with in our times because we don't go out there. We have, we have factories that do those stuff for us. Right? But back in the day when they would go and they would harvest wheat, they would take it into a big old, uh, 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 pretty much like a big old hole that they would pay like a big old pot. And they would put the chaff and the wheat together and they would just shake it. They would shake it like this and all the chaff would blow away in the wind. And, and, and all the wheat they would, they would take it to the barn. And so he's, John the Baptist is saying of Jesus, look, he's going to come in and he's going to set this all out. Like chaff and wheat. Again, at his second coming. And he says, and he's going to throw out the chaff and, and, and he's going he's gonna to burn it. He says, but the wheat he's going to gather into his barn. And verse 18 says, And with many other exhortations he preached to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, being rebuked by him, concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, also added this, above all, that he shut John up in prison. And so we're told that many people listened to him, many people heard him, many people repented of their sin and prepared their hearts for the coming of Jesus because of his message. But we're told that other individuals, religious leaders, political figures, were, uh, they, they didn't take a liking to him because of his message. And man, the, the message of the cross is always going to be unpopular. Right? You go out there and you, and you preach repentance from sin, from your sin. You, you go out there and you, and you preach your, uh, 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 biblical morality. And man, you become an, all of a sudden an enemy of everyone. And nothing, there was nothing different with, with, with John's ministry. And so he's, he's going out there and he's preaching. We're told that King Herod, who was over the region of Galilee, we're told that he didn't like John. As a matter of fact, he, he threw him in prison because of his message and because John called him out for his sin. John called him out uh, uh, in the fact that, that King Herod had, history tells us that King Herod had left his wife and he, he persuaded and, and he convinced his brother's wife to come to live with them. Right? So he's just committing all kinds of wickedness, left his own wife. Uh, he, he, he took his brother's wife and all of a sudden they're reigning there in, in, in Galilee and John calls him out. Everyone else is scared of him, right? Everyone else, man, right, he's over us. He could put us to death if he wanted to. And not John. He said, hey, man, what you're doing is not right. And we actually have a, an account of this there in the, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3, if you want to turn there. It's in Matthew 14, I, I believe. I'm going to go ahead and read it for you. And it tells us there in Matthew 14, it's kind of the same account, but, but the Gospel of Matthew adds a little bit more, more details for us as to why Harry hated him so much. And he says this in Matthew chapter 14. He says, in verse 1, it says, At that time, Herod the Tetrarch, same guy that we're talking about in Luke, says, Heard the report about Jesus and said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. And so to understand kind of the timeline, as John the Baptist was rebuking King Herod for, for his sin and for taking his brother's wife, we're told that, that King Herod put him to death. Luke tells us that he, that he put him in prison, which he did. But afterwards, he put him to death. And so uh, Matthew gives us a whole account. And he says, For Herod had laid hold of John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John has said to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. And although he wanted to put him to death, he feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. So here's John fulfilling his ministry. Thousands of people coming to him to be baptized. He's preaching repentance. Everyone recognizes him. Man, he's a prophet of God. Right, he's speaking the word of God. He's sent by God. 
King Herod feared him. Well, he, feared the, he feared the multitude, but John was calling him out. Right? And we're told that John told me, he says, hey, it's not lawful for you to have her. Now the question might come in, well, man, if, if, he, was, if he wasn't a Jew right then, what, what does he care? Right? How come he wasn't going around rebuking uh, Caesar or, or any of the other guys? Well, the thing is that, that, that Herod the Great, which is Herod the Tetrarch's father, uh, was actually an Edomite. He was a descendant of, of Esau. Right from 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 Esau, uh, Abraham had had two sons, uh, had Isaac, Isaac had, had Jacob and Esau, and from Jacob came the nation of Israel. From Esau came the nation of the Edomites, and King Herod the Great was the last of the living Edomites. And so, to a sense, they knew the the, the Mosaic law and they held to it. Right, uh, King Herod the Great actually considered himself a Jew. He wouldn't call himself an Edomite. So when he was in power there there in Rome, he would consider himself the king of the Jews. He would call himself the king of the Jews. And so rightfully so, John calls him out. He says, look, man, it's not, it's not lawful for you to, to, to live the way you're living. If you call yourself a Jew, if you call yourself, you know, uh, uh, of our people. He says, look, it's not lawful for you. And so it says that although he wanted to put him to death, he feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday was celebrated, the daughter of Herodias, his wife, says, dance before them and pleased Herod. Therefore, he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. And that's how wicked they were. Right, that man, that he has his brother's wife, who he took to himself. Now his brother's daughter, which is his niece, is dancing, dancing in a provocative way in front of him. And, and he was so pleased that he's like, man, you know what? I'll give you whatever you want. He says, ask and I'll give you whatever you want. And so notice what would happen. It says, there in verse 8, it says, So she, having been prompted by her mother, said, Give me John the Baptist's head on a platter. And the king was sorry, but nevertheless, because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he commanded it to be given to her. So he sent and had John beheaded in prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. Then his disciples came and took away the body and buried it and went and told Jesus, man, some heavy stuff, right, that the Bible includes for us. But this is what happened to, to John the Baptist. This guy was, again, uh, man, mighty in word and deed. God used him mightily. Right? He was out there preaching repentance. He was doing the work of God. He was rubbing people the wrong way because he was preaching truth. And because he was preaching truth, man, it cost him his life. It cost him his life. And so it's this John the Baptist that's preparing the way for Jesus back in the Gospel of Luke. And again, we're told that, that Philip's, that, that also, uh, again, that Philip, sorry, that King, that King Herod sent to, to prison. Sorry, I lost my place. And then verse 21 there in chapter 3, it says, When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened. And so here's John the Baptist. He's baptizing thousands of people there in Israel. Thousands of people who are coming to him, repenting of their sins. And as he's baptizing all these different people for repentance, one person comes to be baptized by him. And that's Jesus. He says that as John was baptizing, he says it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form, like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. This amazing thing happened as John was baptizing Jesus that had never happened before. He's baptizing thousands of people, and, and it's all this, all right, cool, repentance, repentance, repentance. But all of a sudden, there was something different about Jesus. This is the commencement of, of Jesus' earthly ministry. Right? He hadn't done any miracles. He hadn't presented himself before that. But before he began his ministry here on earth that lasted about three years, the first thing he did was he went to go get baptized by John. And so this is the commencement of his, of his earthly ministry. He goes in and he, and he gets baptized by John. And we're told that John saw something as Jesus was being baptized that was different from everyone else. He said that he saw the Holy Spirit 
It says in the form of a dove. It wasn't a dove. A lot of times we see pictures or uh, I think I even have a tattoo of it. You know, oh, the dove is like the Holy Spirit, which represents the Holy Spirit. True. But notice it wasn't a dove that descended on Jesus. He said that he saw the Holy Spirit in a bodily form. That's never happened before. Throughout all the Bible, throughout the Old Testament, throughout all, all Scripture, this has never happened before. This is the only instance in which they see the Holy Spirit descend in a visible bodily form. The Holy Spirit is a spirit, right? John would say, um, in the Gospel of John, Jesus would say that God is spirit. And those who worship God must worship Him in spirit and truth. Why? Because we can't see God with our physical eyes. But yet when Jesus was baptized, He sees the Holy Spirit in a bodily form. So in a visible, tangible way, descend upon Jesus in the form of a dove or like a dove. And He rested on Him. John gives us a similar account of this. And he tells us this in John 132. He adds something different. There in John 132, the writer, the writer of the Gospel of John, as he's, uh, again, accounting the, the, the same story, he says this. He says, says, And the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes the sin of the world. He says, This is he of, of whom I said, after, after me comes a man who was preferred before me, for he was before me. And I didn't know him, but he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water. And verse 32 says, And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. So he remained upon him. Again, all these people were coming for repentance, right? To repent of their sins. And yet Jesus was coming uh, because he was going to be the one who was, who was going to give them the forgiveness of sins. They were repenting. John was preparing the way. But yet the, the baptism didn't bring forgiveness. The baptism only brought the, the, the cleansing of the condition of the heart. Right, the forgiveness of sins was gonna was gonna be something that was gonna done that was, that was gonna be done once Jesus was was crucified, and once he resurrected, and so in the same in, the, in that in that same at that same instance, as people are coming to be to repent of their sins, wash their hearts, here comes the Messiah to be baptized and to confirm them, his ministry, and so we're told again that as he came, that the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven saying, "You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased." And again, John tells us that the Spirit remained on him. Remained on him. And the, the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form. Right? This was the first time ever this has ever happened. This, was, this would have been huge for John. And there in the Gospel of John, John the Baptist says, Look, I knew, I knew that's, a, that's a Messiah because this has never happened before. <laughs> and so he goes on to say there, verse 23 says, Now Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age, being... In parentheses, being as was supposed, the son of Joseph, the son of Eli. And then we have from verses 24 to 38, this uh, what's called a genealogy. Right? And so the gospel of Luke, the writer Luke, he, he takes it upon himself to give us the lineage or the genealogy of, of Jesus, but from Mary's side of the family. Now, Mary's not mentioned because of the culture. They wouldn't mention the, 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 the mother's name. But if you look at the gospel of, of Matthew, there's another genealogy there. And that genealogy traces... Uh, all of Joseph's lineage. But Luke takes it upon himself to, to trace Mary's lineage. And so we're told there, again, that he was supposing to be the son of Joseph because he wasn't, right? He was the son of Mary, but he was the son of God. He was born of Mary, but he was the son of God, birthed by the Holy Spirit. And so Luke gives us this whole genealogy beginning from Joseph, so the son of Heli, the son of Manah, the son of Levi. He goes on all the way down. You can read all those names. I can't pronounce but probably like half of them, so I'm not going to try but he goes down every single one of those, name, those names and he takes his notice all the way up to verse 38. He says, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. This is awesome. This is awesome because 
In the Gospel of Matthew, as we have this other genealogy I mentioned, Matthew takes it all the way up to Abraham. Right? Because Matthew's focus in writing his Gospel was to minister to the Jews and to tell them, look, this, here, this is the king of the Jews and I'll prove it to you by look, tracing this genealogy all the way back to Abraham, our father Abraham, right? the, the, the father of the Hebrew nation. And what I love about Luke is that Luke writes this, Luke being a Gentile, Right, not being one of one of Jesus' uh, uh, disciples, as Jesus had his earthly ministry, being a Gentile himself, being Greek, writing this to to to, to his uh, Gentile master Theophilus, he writes it with a with this in mind, that the Messiah isn't just the Messiah of the Jews, but he's the Messiah of the whole world, and so Luke takes it past Abraham and takes it all the way back to Adam, all the way back to God, before the Jewish nation was even a nation, right, way before even even uh, uh, Abraham was called. And so he says, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Taking away all the way back to God, right? You're familiar with the story that in the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve were told had two sons, uh, Cain and Abel. Right? And, and, and they were sure, they were sure that, 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 that through Abel, the curse was going to be uh, uh, removed. But yet Cain kills his brother Abel. And all of a sudden they're like, man, well, we thought God was going to send a deliverer through Abel. Then afterwards, they have another son, which the name is Seth. And God confirms to him, and, and, the, and he tells him, look, it's through Seth, uh, it's through Seth's lineage that the Messiah is going to come. And Luke, and Luke proves that for us. He takes it all the way back to Seth. Notice also that it says there, back in the verse 23, it says that Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age. You guys ever wonder, man, what took him so long? Why didn't he begin at, at age 12 or 13 or 14? And the chapter previously, we're told that at 12 years old, he was, he was already at the temple disputing with the, with the Pharisees and with the teachers, going back and forth about the law, right? And, and asking questions. We're like, man, why didn't he begin earlier? Why didn't he begin at 20, at 25, at 28, at 13, at 15, at 20 years old? Why 30? I don't know for sure. But I do know that, the, that in the book of Numbers, as we're studying on Wednesday nights, the book of Numbers there in chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, tell us that it was at the age of 30 when a Levite was able to, to, to begin uh, the priestly ministry, right? They were, at, at age 30, they were considered, I guess, mature enough or, or older enough to, to enter into the priesthood and to begin to do service there in the tabernacle. And so at the age 30 that Jesus began his earthly ministry, it could have been at 29, it could have been at 27, but because Jesus fulfilled all the law of Moses, it makes sense that he would begin his ministry at 30 years old because Numbers chapter 4, verse 2 and 3 tells us that for all the priests, right, they would have, have to wait until they were 30 years old until they can enter the ministry. Right? The Bible tells us that Jesus is our high priest. Right? He's the last of the priests. We don't need any more priests. We don't need to, to go to any, any person, any man to, uh, to, 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 to talk to God for us. Right, we could talk to God, to God ourselves because we have Jesus as our high priest, it says. And so it goes on to say, there in chapter 4, it says, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. As he gets baptized, the Holy Spirit comes upon him, it descends upon him in the form of the dove, and it rests on him, symbolizing that man, everything that he was going to do from beyond that point, his ministry was going to be a ministry fulfilled in and through the Holy Spirit and by the Holy Spirit. And now in chapter 4, we're told that it was the Holy Spirit, he was being filled by the Holy Spirit, that he returned from the Jordan and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now, he was led into the wilderness for a specific reason. And it was verse 2, it says that he was led into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days by the devil. That's crazy. That being filled 
with the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit that led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Maybe you've heard it said, oh, well, if you're walking with God, if you're full, full of the Spirit, you know, if, you got, if, if, if you've been walking right with God, if, if you have the Holy Spirit, then man, you shouldn't suffer. You shouldn't be sick. You shouldn't be in pain. You shouldn't have all the things. If you have the Holy Spirit, hey, you have God. Everything should be nice and dandy, 100%, right? Man, when we see that Jesus being full of the Holy Spirit was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And so we see that it is possible for a believer to be full of the Holy Spirit. Man, to be walking in the Spirit, to be walking in the perfect will of God. If there was anybody that was walking in the perfect will of God, it was Jesus. If there was anybody that should have been exempt from suffering, exempt from temptation, it was Jesus. But yet, we're told that the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan, by the devil. Right? And so we see that it's possible for a believer in Jesus Christ to love God, to be following God, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be Spirit-led, to be baptized by the Holy Spirit, and yet enter into temptation, yet enter into suffering. All right. Now, the temptation itself isn't sin, right? But so when we give in to the temptation, that becomes sin. And so here's Jesus, the Son of God, being tempted for 40 days by the devil, right? And, and notice where the Spirit took him, to the wilderness. On Wednesday night, we were mentioning how, how it was when Moses was in the wilderness, there in the tabernacle, that he received a call from God. Right? And there's just something special that happens to the believers, man, when, when, when we're in this wilderness state. And for us, I mean, we use the term wilderness to, to, to define uh, like a special season in our, in our life where we're just like, man, I feel like I'm kind of lost. I feel like I'm kind of just wandering. I feel like I, there's no clarity. I feel like there's no, I, I, I don't see, I don't have good vision, right, of what God wants to do in my life. We call that kind of the wilderness experience where you feel like you're just in a season where maybe God is preparing you. Maybe God is dealing with you. Maybe God is building you up. But all you know is that you're not where you should be yet. It's this wilderness experience, right? And for us as believers, we use that term to kind of describe our seasons and, and, and our lives that we go through. And we're like, I feel like I'm just in this wilderness right now. I'm wandering. I know God wants to do something in my life, but I'm just, it's not there yet, right? And sometimes we think about it or we talk about it in a negative way, but we see that in every single instance in the Bible, right, it was in the wilderness that God taught his people, that God nurtured his people, that God called his people, that God built his people up. Moses, uh, Heard from God as he was in the wilderness and the tabernacle. We're told that John the Baptist heard his call from God as he was in the wilderness. Right? We're told that Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit to be tempted. We're told in 1 Kings 19 that, that it was Elijah the prophet. He fled into the wilderness after being chased by, by Jezebel and Ahab. And it was in the wilderness that God just, man, he just nurtured him. He sent him food. He kind of, he, he let him get some rest. He built him up. He said, all right, Elijah, let's get back in there. Right? It was in the wilderness of Arabia specifically that the Apostle Paul uh, was for a few years before he even began any of his ministry. He got saved, had a had a special encounter with the Lord down the road to Damascus, and we're told that he was in the wilderness of Arabia for some years before he began his ministry. Man, there's something special that a believer wants to do in this time of suffering, in this time of just kind of wandering, in this wilderness experience. There's something that God wants to do in the life of the believer that he can only do while you're there in that season of waiting, while you're there in that wilderness experience. And so if you feel like you're in that, world, like in that wilderness, man, sometimes I feel like I'm the children of Israel. Man, I feel like I've been there for a long time. Lord, it seems like it's been like 40 years. I want to get out of this already. I want to see what you have for me. Lord, I want to see the way out already. Sometimes it feels like that. Man, I feel like I've just been wandering for years. Rest assured that God is desiring to do something. If you'll let him. And so my encouragement to you is, man, open up your heart. Let the Lord work in your heart while you're there in that wilderness. And so it goes on to say again that he was tempted for 40 days by the devil 
says, and in those days he ate nothing, and afterwards, when he had ent- when he, he had ended, he was hungry. Amen. Jesus, uh, God the Son, as he took on humanity, he was a hundred percent man, a hundred percent God. Right, meaning that him being 100% man, he got tired, he got hungry. Just like any one of us, man, you don't eat anything for 40 days, you're going to be starving. That word actually hungry means that he was to the point of starvation. Medical science today tells us that a, a person could go about 40 days without, without food. And, and, and once you start feeling those pains, you start feeling hunger pains in the beginning. After about a week, you, you don't feel them anymore. And then uh, once it gets to about 40 days, you begin to feel them again. And if you ignore them the second time, about after 40 days, and then you're going to die. Right, so it was after 40 days that he began to get hungry. He was to the point of starvation. And it was at this time, verse 3, says that the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command the stone to become bread. Notice that. Man, the enemy is always looking to get us at our weakest points. It's when you're at your weakest that, that Satan is going to be whispering those things in your ear. It's when you're at your weakest point spiritually that, that the enemy is going to come and just attack you from all sides where you're, you're going to feel like you're being bombarded. He doesn't play fair. That's what I hate about Satan, man. He, doesn't, he just doesn't play fair. We have rules. All right, you get in a street fight. All right, he's down. Let him get up. Let him get up. All right, no kicking. Or let him get up. All right. You could be the craziest guy, right? But you're in a street fight. Like, oh, I'll let you get up. But that's not Satan, man. He, 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 man, he'll kick you when you're down. He'll blindside you, right? He'll sucker punch you. And, and, and when you're on the floor, man, he'll take advantage of you and he'll continue to beat you up even more. He doesn't play fair. And so it was when Jesus was to a point of starvation that, man, he came out of me, began to tell him these things. All right, if you're the son of God. That word if could be better translated to since you're the son of God, why don't you command these stones to become bread? Right? He was questioning, causing, trying to cause Jesus to question his identity in the Father. Since you're the son of God, why don't you command these stones to become bread? But notice what Jesus said there in verse 4. It says, Jesus answered him saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Right? He answered him by quoting Deuteronomy, by quoting scripture. Look, this is what the Bible says. It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And then the devil taking him up on a high mountain, he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give to you and their glory for this has been delivered to me and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship me, all will be yours. Tempting Jesus with the kingdoms of this world. And Jesus said in verse 8, he says, get behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him alone you shall serve. But notice that, that Jesus didn't, amen, he didn't, he didn't dispute the fact that, that, that Satan said, look, all these kingdoms have been given to me. Notice what Satan said. Satan said, he says, all the authority I will give you and their glory for this has been delivered to me and I give it to whomever, whomever I wish. Satan was saying, look, I have all the kingdom, I have all the authority and I give it to whoever, whomever I wish. And Jesus didn't dispute that. Why? Because the Bible tells us that Satan is the God of this world. Uh, of this world. Satan is the prince of the air. Satan is the, the one who, who's pretty much running rampant in this world right now. Right, the, the Bible tells us in Psalms that the earth in all its fullness belong to the Lord. The earth in all its fullness belong to the Lord. But there in the garden, all dominion and all authority was given to Adam. Right? But because he sinned, because he, he gave it to temptation to Satan, he handed over dominion and authority to Satan. And since then, man, Satan has been running rampant, having his way throughout the whole earth. Influencing uh, uh, individuals, right? Causing, causing, you know, in, in, believe, causing people to do wicked things upon the earth since the beginning of time. 
And so he tells Jesus, look, I have all authority. I have all the glory. He says, and I give it to whomever I want. All the kingdoms of this world. Right? But Jesus simply said, hey, get, me, get behind me, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And notice the third temptation. He says, then he brought him to Jerusalem. He set him on the pinnacle of the temple, meaning the highest point of the temple. And he said to him, if you're the son of God, then throw yourself down from here. For it is written. And now he's going to quote scripture. Man, this is saving, quoting scripture. He says, it is written, quoting Psalms. He says, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands, they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, it has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Man, notice how deceitful Satan is. Right? And if Satan could quote scripture and, and, and twist scripture and manipulate scripture to get his point across, it's no wonder that people do it today. Man, you can listen to all kinds of crazy preachers on TV that are quoting scripture to, to support their own crazy ideologies or beliefs or demands, putting these crazy demands on people, and they'll quote scripture to support their demands. And it, of course, it's completely out of context. Right? But we see, man, if Satan is, 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 does that, then of course his followers are going to do that as well. Jesus would tell some of the religious leaders later on, he says, man, he says, you guys aren't fathers of Abraham. He says, you're fathers of your... Your sons of your father, the devil. He says, because he was a murderer from the beginning. He says, and you guys are just like him, desiring to, to, to kill me. Right? So you see why a lot of people, even so-called preachers or so-called, I mean, whatever they want to call themselves, man, would even take scripture and take advantage of people. I just, man, it, it makes my blood boil. When I see people taking advantage or ripping people off for money or for different things, it's like, man, it, it's, it's, uh, it's sickening. But you see where that influence comes from, right? From the devil. The devil's the one who, who twists scripture and manipulates scripture to get his own, to, to, to get what he wants. But every single time that, that Satan was tempting Christ, notice he responded with scripture. What does that tell us for the believer? All right, I'm getting tempted. All right, I feel temptation. Right, I'm struggling with temptation. Let me just uh, go watch TV. <laughs> All right, let me just uh, go do this. Man, let me go just... Uh, 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 Seclude myself from from all the world and, and you know and, and I'll fight temptation that way. I don't know if you guys saw on the news or on Instagram or social media recently that they that there was this this, uh, this temple of monks recently that, that that was that was having controversy because I guess these monks they um, they drug tested them and all of them came came back positive for meth. You saw that? Yes. You would think, man, these guys' philosophy, the philosophy of these of these monks is that if they get away from society, they get away from technology, they get away from all the known world and just Go to this place to just uh, focus on, on, you know, on reaching the, whatever, you know, it's nirvana, whether, whatever it is that they're trying to reach, enlightenment, right, that they're going to achieve it because they're not tempted by the things of this world. I wish it was that easy. I wish I could just go up in the mountains somewhere, leave my phone at home and, and all right, cool, man, free from temptation. You see these guys who have devoted their lives to that and yet even they, all, it was like seven of them, all of them came, came back positive for, for, for meth. Now, like the whole little town right there is like, oh, what do we do, man? We want to go worship at the temple, but all the monks are high and they're on, they're on drugs. But it's like, man, you see, again, that, that, that there's only one uh, answer. Like there's only one way to combat temptation in our lives, and that's through the power of the Holy Spirit, man, through Scripture. If Jesus quoted Scripture, if Jesus was, was submitted to the Holy Spirit, Him being the Son of God, man, what makes that any different? What makes us any different, right? And so three times... Uh, or three different instances, or in three ways, the, Satan tempted the Lord. One, it was in what feels good. He was like, hey man, just, you're hungry? Hey, just make these stones into bread. Do what feels good, right? Just do what feels right. Do what feels right. And it's very dangerous when we're being led by our own emotions, by what feels good. Hey, just do what feels good. Because oftentimes what feels good isn't what's right. 
Right? That's what society is teaching today, man. The truth is subjective. It's not, it's not absolute. You have your own truth. If this feels good to you, this feels good to you, then that's, that's your truth. But we see it's, 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 it's not so. Right? And so Satan tempted Jesus by saying, look, just do what feels good. You're hungry? Why don't you make these rocks into stone? You can do that. Right? Fulfill your, your, your appetite. He tempted him by what looks good. Right? He says, hey, look, man. He says, all these kingdoms are, 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 are mine and I'll give them to you. Look at all this. He took, him to, he took him and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in one moment. Man, I bet that looked amazing. He tempted him with what looks good. And then he tempted him with what seems good. Right? He says, look, man, if you're the son of God, just throw yourself down and he's going to send angels to catch you. Everyone's going to see these angels catch you as you're falling down from the temple. And everyone's going to see, that's it. You're the Messiah. Right? What seems good. What feels good, what looks good, what seems good. The Bible tells us in 1 John that the temptations of this, uh, the temptations of this world are the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Right? Same, three things, same three things that Satan tempted Jesus with. The lust of the flesh, hey man, just eat that food. Make those stones into bread. The lust of the eyes, hey look, man, all these kingdoms, and the pride of life. Right? And same three things. Satan's been at it since the very beginning. Same three things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. But as we read through these things, as we read through this temptation, again, going back to verse 2, it says that he was being tempted for 40 days by the devil, and in those days, he ate nothing. Sometimes when we read through it, we think, all right, he fasted for 40 days, and after, after 40 days, uh, he, then he got tempted. But really, they, as you read through it, like in the original Greek, it gives the it gives the idea that it was for forty it was forty days of a continual temptation, not just one instant. Boom, 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 bam! All right, it's, it's over with. Yeah, right. That'd be. I mean, I won't say it's easy, but that'd be too easy for Jesus. But it says that for forty days, it was a continual forty days of a continual testing. And yeah, we see that Jesus did not did not fold, right? He could not sin. He could not sin. It's called the impeccability of Christ. Right? So, so many people have asked, I mean, I've gone to conversations, it's good, fun conversations, where we ask, man, well, if Jesus was tempted, could he <coughs> sin? Right? Could Jesus sin? This is a hypothetical question, right? Well, could Jesus sin? Like, if he wanted to, could have he had given to temptation? Why was he tempted if he couldn't sin? Right? And many people have different, different beliefs. Uh, pretty much they fall into two categories. They believe that Christ was impeccable, meaning that he could not sin, or that he was peccable, meaning that he could be susceptible to sin, but yet he rejected it, or he 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 he, he you know he, he didn't he didn't fall victim to temptation, right? And I'm of the I'm of the belief that 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 Christ was impeccable. He could not sin because he is perfect. Him being a hundred percent man, he was also hundred percent God. To say that Christ could sin in his flesh, it, it means that God the Father could sin as well, right? And that's not true. Right? We know that there is no sin in God. Right? He is he is perfect. Now because he was being able he he was he had the ability to be tempted, but yet not sin. Philippians tells us that he took on the form right, of a bondservant and he was tested. He was tempted in all ways, just like us, so that now he could, uh, he could sympathize with our weaknesses. Not because he experienced it, but not because he experienced the sin, but because he experienced the temptation. Right? So Christ, even though he was tempted, he could not sin. Right? But yet he was still tempted and it wasn't more to prove, oh, look, I, I, uh, I can't sin. Or it wasn't more to prove like, oh, look, I didn't fall to temptation. But it was more to, to, to establish his deity. Right? The fact that he couldn't sin, that's all right, that's a given. But he was establishing who he is. Look, I'm the son of God. And so as he's being tempted, again, he resists for those 40 days. Uh, he didn't give in to, into Satan's temptation. Right? And one occasion he even told him, hey, get behind me, Satan. 
So it was Satan himself who was tempting him. Interesting that that Jesus was gonna say that phrase, that phrase twice. One was right here as he was fasting for forty days. He tells Satan literally, "Get behind me, Satan!" Right? You're tempting me as I've just been baptized, about to begin my ministry, begin healing all kinds of people, and you know, and begin this awesome ministry. And Satan comes and he tempts him. But the second time is is noted for us there in Matthew sixteen, and he tells it to Peter, to Peter, one of his disciples. Notice, again, here in Luke, he tells Satan, get behind me, Satan. Right? For it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. But there in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 16, he says this to, to Peter. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and read it for you. I don't know if it's up on the screen. but It says this in, in Matthew 16. It says, uh, while, while they were walking there through... Um, it says, I'll read from 17. It says, Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and, who, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then verse 20 says, Then he commanded his disciples and they t- that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. And then from that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and then be raised on the third day. And so as, he's, as, as Jesus is telling them, look, man, all right, Peter, you're right on, man. Because as they're, as they're walking through there in, in Caesarea Philippi, uh, Caesarea Philippi was, a, was, a, was a, a part of town that was very popular for its idolatry. And as you would be walking on the walls there, there would be like little uh, crevices that, that were dug up and, and they would set up their little idols on, on, on these crevices of the walls. I've been there in Israel. It's still there to, to this day. And so as they were walking through, right, there were many different gods and, and the pagan people would make gods to all kinds of different things. And, and as they were walking through, he would ask Peter, Peter, who do people say I am? He would say, oh, some say you're the Messiah. Some say you're, the, you're this. He says, but who do you say I am? He says, eh, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And John tell, and Jesus tells me, yeah, you're, you're right about that. He says, and it was the Holy Spirit who revealed that to you. And then as he continues to tell him, hey, look, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be given over. I'm going to be uh, killed. And I'm going to be raised on the third day. And notice what Peter says in verse 22 of Matthew 16. He says, then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, <laughs> saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall not happen to you. As, as Jesus is saying, look, I have to be crucified. I have to be given over. All right, I have to be uh, 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 betrayed. Peter takes him to the side. And says, no way, Lord. This is not going to happen to you. Come on, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the King of Israel. He begins to rebuke Jesus. And verse 23, But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Meaning what? That even Peter himself, man, he allowed himself to be influenced by Satan. Right? Because he was trying to tell Jesus, Look, you don't have to die. You don't have to be crucified. You don't have to suffer. But it was a plan of God that Jesus would die, suffer, be crucified, and be betrayed. Right? But I think it, it's just heavy. I tell you, the only, the only two times he, he says, he says, get behind me, Satan. One is as he's being tempted in the wilderness for 40 days. And the other is as he's talking to Peter. Hey, man, that's not of God right there, Peter. Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> and so it goes on to say there in verse 12 again. It says, and Jesus answered and said to him, it has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now, when the devil had ended every temptation... He departed from him until an opportune time. Notice that. It says that when he had ended his temptation, 
Satan departed from Jesus, not for good, but he says, until an opportune time, meaning that he was just prowling around looking for another moment of weakness to come in and say, all right, now's my chance. Now's my chance to tempt. Now's my chance to destroy. And that's the character and nature of Satan. That's what he does and that's what he's, that's what he's always done. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5, 8-9 that Satan is like a roaring lion seeking whom to devour. I watch nature shows all the time on Netflix and especially like all the lion ones that man, you see them, they're just like this. They'll, they'll be in one area in the tall grass for hours waiting for their perfect opportunity to pounce and to kill. And that's Satan. The Bible describes Satan as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Right? And so for us as believers, man, we see that trials never go away. We're going to be faced with trials. Jesus was faced with trials. Satan himself tempted him. And he left them for an opportune time, meaning that he kept on coming back. And he did. Sometimes it was through the form of the, the, the religious leaders. Sometimes it was through the form of, of, uh, of his own disciples, Peter. And then eventually Judas. The, the Bible tells us that Judas betrayed Jesus because center, uh, Satan had entered him. Okay? Meaning that he gave way for Satan to have, have a hold of his heart. And, and, and it, it brought forth wickedness and he betrayed Jesus. So for us as believers, man, we're going to be tempted. Right? We're going to be tempted. We're going to be hit with all kinds of trials. But the Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says, No temptation has overcome you except that which is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But with that temptation, He will allow, uh, he, will, he will provide a way that you may bear it. Meaning, temptation is going to come our way. And in the moment when we're tempted, it's going to feel like, man, no one else knows what I'm going through. I'm like the only one in the whole world who's going through this right now. Man, I can't explain this to anybody. And Paul would say, look, no temptation has overcome you except that which is common to man. Meaning, look, what you're going through, there's people going through it all, 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 over, all over the world, believers. So don't feel alone in this temptation, in this trial. He says, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. You all heard us say, hey, God gives his toughest battles to his strongest warriors. Right? But really, it's that God will not allow anything to come into our life beyond what we're able to bear. Right? So God knows our limits. God knows how much we can endure. And in a sense, yeah, you're going through something heavy, you've gone through something heavy in your life, it's because God saw it fit for you to go through it because He knows how much you can endure. Man, sometimes we don't even know how much we can endure. I'm surprised by how much things I've, I've gone through. I'm like, man, Lord, still standing. I always say, Mr. Indestructible. But in the Lord. Yeah, I say I say that in a, in, a, in, a, in a prayer way, but in the Lord, because I have God. And because I have God, we have it. Because I have the Spirit of God dwelling in me, then, like Paul said, man, no height, nor death, nor, 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 nor nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. 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 Father God, I just, Lord, I, 